Please open your Bible with me to the book of Malachi, just before Matthew. Malachi chapter 3. And look there with me in verse 1. God's Word declares in Malachi, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord's messenger referred to here was John the Baptist, and his work was to prepare the way before the Lord. The prophecy of God's word was, Behold, I will send my messenger, that is, John the Baptist, and he shall prepare the way before me. In Isaiah chapter 40, there in verse 3, God's word declares, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When those officials came to John, those who were sent out from the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they came asking him, Who are you? Here was John out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing And they wanted to know, where did you get this authority? Who are you? They didn't recognize him. He certainly didn't graduate from any of their schools. They didn't know who he was. Remember, they asked him, who are you? And John confessed that he was not the Christ. But he said, I am the voice. And here in this passage in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it tells us, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the prophecy we read in Malachi chapter 3 declared, Behold, I will send my messenger, that is, John the Baptist, and he shall prepare the way before me. He shall prepare the way before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's no question that Jesus Christ is God. He is the God-man mediator, the Word made flesh, the Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, beloved, whenever we gather together to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, we gather to worship our Lord and God. We call Him Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of our Peace. And this man, John the Baptist, the voice that crieth in the wilderness, his ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, the voice said, Cry. And the question is asked, What shall I cry? And two things are set forth to cry. First of all, all flesh is grass. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, the voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? And the voice said, Cry. All flesh is grass. God's word sets this forth again through the Apostle Peter. 
Referring to this very passage, he writes, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. What's the message? Simply this. Just like the grass that springs up during the spring is all green, it's not too long before it fadeth away and is no more. Dead. And that's your life, and that's my life in this world. Just like a blade of grass. My friend, all flesh is just as fragile and transitory as a blade of grass. And the flower, the vain glory of man's life in this world, shall wither as the flower of the grass. The vanity of this life is just a transitory, just as transitory, just as brief as a withering flower of the grass in that it lasts for just a little while. Just a little while. Men spend their lives working to achieve honor, riches, and the things of this world to leave it all behind in just a relatively short time. Just a few days, really. The Lord's voice commands us to cry. And what shall we cry, beloved? We cry, All flesh is grass. All flesh is as grass. What a striking contrast there is between the fading, dying plans of man and the incorruptible and never-ending purpose of God. The Apostle Peter writes, again, I'll repeat it. If you turn with me there, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle writes, Verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. All right, back to Isaiah chapter 40. Look there in verse 9. God's Word declares in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. Where have we heard that before? John the Baptist declares, Behold your God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now, John the Baptist was the subject of several Old Testament prophecies. Matthew records in chapter 3 of his gospel, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 how that John had the raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins and his meat that is his food was locusts and wild honey now when they saw John dressed as he was it reminded them of another prophet who was to come before the Lord Jesus Christ 
Who was that? Elijah. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, that Elijah was girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. Elijah and John the Baptist were as much alike in dress as they were in their commission. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, and look there with me in verse 5. God's word declares in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And our Lord appointed to John as, as the Elijah of the gospel. And he said, If you will receive it. This is Elijah, which was for to come. When our Lord was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, coming back down, after witnessing his transformation, his transfiguration, they asked the Lord how it was that the scribes said that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And our Lord said, Elijah's already come. How can that be? In John the Baptist. Now, not that Elijah was raised somehow from the dead thousands of years later. Rather, John the Baptist was Elijah. Our Lord tells us this, and it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. Now, concerning the demeanor of John the Baptist... Our Lord said how that John came living a life of austerity, neither eating nor drinking. And those that heard John, what did they say of him? They said, he hath a devil. And our Lord continued, the son of man, that is Christ himself, he came eating and drinking. And what did they say about him? Well, they said, behold, a man gluttonous and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But then our Lord went on to say, But wisdom is justified of her children. You see, a man's problem is in his heart. Now he may put off the whole thing on the preacher and say something like, I don't like the preacher. I don't like the way he preaches. And then he might say, Well, I like this other preacher, but I don't like this preacher. The problem isn't the preacher. The problem is that man loves darkness rather than light. John the Baptist didn't need meat or drink. The Lord Jesus Christ, he both ate and drank. You see, it wasn't the messenger. It was the message that called man to break off, to cut off from their sins and follow Christ that man hates. You see, that's what a man hates by nature. To hear the gospel that declares, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May our Heavenly Father give all of us grace to stop living by our own way, own truth, and own life, and make Jesus Christ His Son our only way, only truth, and only life. Salvation is to be made a new person. It is to be made a new creature. To be given a new walk is to have God take your way and give you His way, the only way to the Father. Our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So how did John the Baptist go about his work? His work was to prepare the way before the Lord. And the Word of God says he came preaching. It's Matthew, if you'll notice there in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 1, we read, In those days came John the Baptist preaching. How did he go about his work? He went about preaching. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He didn't say, let's all sit around in a circle and express our ideas and share how we feel about this portion of Scripture or that other one. Oh, no. Rather, he preached. That's how he went about his work. When the Lord Jesus Christ sent out his 12 apostles during his earthly ministry, he told them, as you go, preach. And after his resurrection, he commanded his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, was Paul saying baptism isn't important? Of course not. But in comparison between baptism and the gospel, there's no comparison. For man must hear the gospel and must believe the gospel in order to be saved. Indeed, we know of several examples of men who were saved that were never baptized. Now, it is important, and we'll examine that in just a moment. But in this matter of salvation, what is all important is preaching. God's Word declares, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that being true, God's word further declares, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And John the Baptist was indeed a man sent from God. And he went about his work preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord declared that day when he came to the temple, reading from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Indeed, the gospel of Christ is good news to the poor. Now, what does that mean? To preach the gospel to the poor. What does that mean? Are we to preach the gospel to people who are economically poor? Perhaps. But that's not the poor being referred to. When our Lord declared how that he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, he is referring to those who are spiritually bankrupt. People who have been given an understanding that if salvation costs just one penny of my own merit, I'm not going to be saved. Indeed, if God requires anything on my part to be saved, then I will most certainly not be saved. In fact, a camel going through the eye of a needle would be more soon, would more sooner happen than a sinful man through his own merit save himself. My friend, your morality won't save you. Your so-called faithfulness won't save you. You must be saved through the faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, my King, through His faithfulness, through His righteousness. You see, with man, salvation is utterly and completely impossible. But with Jesus Christ, my Lord and God, all things are possible. How is that? Because he has received all power in heaven and earth. He said in his great priestly prayer to our Heavenly Father on behalf of his people, 
Father, thou hast given me power over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee. And my friend, salvation is to know God, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And so for the poor, those who are spiritually poor, those who see themselves as sinners, who have nothing to give, nothing to offer, nothing to pay, the gospel is good news, for in it we hear, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice what John declares in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. Rather, verse 2. John declares in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it should be obvious that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that men can only enter into by repentance, for it is a spiritual kingdom. I'm going to state that again. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that men can only enter through repentance, for it's a spiritual kingdom. Now, to these Jews that John was preaching to, and especially to these Pharisees and Sadducees who came out, their idea of the kingdom was a kingdom of the world. Yes, they believed that a king was coming, the Messiah that was promised to come, but they thought he would be a king after the order of David. And since he would be the son of David, therefore, in their minds at least, he would be a mighty ruler like David, like Solomon, and his kingdom would be of this world, and men would enter it, so they thought, believed and taught, if you were a son of Abraham, one of Abraham's physical descendants, then automatically, surely, you're going to be in God's kingdom. And John says, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that the Messiah is going to bring is a spiritual kingdom. John the Baptist declares in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. John was saying, in effect, Now don't you Pharisees and Sadducees start talking about your heritage, that you can trace your lineage all the way back to Abraham. Because I'm telling you, God is able of these stones, and no doubt there were stones lying there. John declared, God's able of these stones to raise up children. It's not because you're born into the nation of Israel or that you're a Jew. No, a person must be born again. It was to a religious leader that the Lord Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Marvel not at that. Don't be astonished, Nicodemus, that I say that unto thee. Ye must be born again. Our Lord further said to Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God let alone enter it. 
You see, our Lord was not talking about a kingdom of this world, but rather the spiritual kingdom of heaven. Another thing about John was this. He knew his limitations. Notice in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I can do that. I can take you down into the Jordan here. I can put you under the water and I can bring you back up out of it. That I can do. But listen to me. He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall do what I can't do. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John was saying, in effect, I can't do the Messiah's work, but he will baptize you in the Spirit. It's his to work, to give the new birth, the spiritual birth that you must have, that only God can accomplish. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he says, in effect, you know, I planted. I could do that. I could take the word of God, which is the seed of God, and I could come to Corinth and I could begin to preach. I could do that. And after I left, Apollos came along and he could water the word, and he did. And then Paul concluded rightly, only God can give the increase. John the Baptist knew his limitations. And he said, I baptize with water, but I want you to know there's someone here standing among us that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, having considered John the Baptist, I want us to see how the Lord's servant, that is, our Lord Jesus Christ, how he was identified at his baptism as the servant of Jehovah. In Isaiah chapter 42, in verse 1, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, God's word declares, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. This servant of Jehovah, this one in whom our Heavenly Father delighted, testifies in a voice from heaven, saying, in the last verse there of Matthew chapter 3, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and whom I delight. And John, John saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove, and lighting, setting, remaining upon the Lord Jesus Christ. God is here publicly identifying his servant, the one that he called mine elect in whom his soul delighted. Our Heavenly Father identified him through this baptism, and it was now with his baptism that the Lord Jesus Christ began his public ministry. Before this time, the Lord Jesus Christ had been presented at the temple. Remember, he came to the temple at about six weeks of age, just 40 days old. And he came to the temple again at 12 years of age, and all were astonished at his understanding and answers. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew how Joseph was warned in a dream and carried Mary and the Lord Jesus into Egypt, and then the Lord called him back, and he turned into Nazareth. And all this time they had remained in Nazareth. But now the hour, the hour had come, his appointed hour. Now when we think about an hour... Of course, it's time, from the time of his birth. The scriptures say how that the fullness of time was come. And when we think about his baptism, he was about three years of age. 
when we think about his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God, everything was appointed by our Heavenly Father. Everything, his time had come. This appointment was to be baptized by John and to be presented as God's servant, as a servant of Jehovah. The second thing we see here when he approached John to be baptized. Of course, John had already said, there's someone here, and I want you to know one whom I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoestrings. And when the Lord came, the one of whom John was speaking, John didn't want to be baptized of him, and you can understand why. He said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and you come to me. And our Lord said this, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ, in bringing in a justifying righteousness, a righteousness that God would accept, and a righteousness when it is imputed unto those who believe in him, making them not only accepted, but also justified. And in doing that, our Lord had to fulfill all righteousness. Now this was the Father's will, to fulfill all righteousness. That is to do perfectly the Father's will. You say, well, that means to keep the law. And yes, it most certainly does. But it also meant to be baptized. Suffer it to be so. It was written of him, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And this was God's will for the Lord Jesus Christ, to be baptized of John. He that has sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. I do always those things that please him. This pleased his Father. This with his Father's will. Suffer to be so. And in this baptism of God's servant, we also see the revelation of the Trinity. Now, people sometimes will tell you, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, it's not. Neither is the word missionary. There are several words that are not in the Bible, but the truth is in the Word of God. Now, you don't see the word Trinity, but what you do see, if God gives you faith to receive it, as you read through the Word of God, you see that there's three persons who are proclaimed to be God, and yet emphatically, there's only one God. Yet the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. The Apostle John in 1 John writes, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And so when we use those terms, the first, second, and third person in the Trinity, don't ever think of it in your mind like the Father is superior to the Son or the eternal Son of God is superior to the Holy Spirit. Don't think of it like that. Because if we're speaking of God the Father or the second person, God the Son, or the third person, God the Holy Spirit, one is not above the other. First John chapter 5. It's important that we look at these words and that we understand that I'm not here sharing my thoughts or my opinion, but this is God's Word. And so when people object to the word Trinity, yes, the word Trinity is not in the Word of God, but the plain teaching that there are three persons in the Godhead is set forth plainly and clearly. If you look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, the Apostle John writes there, for there are three that bear record in heaven, 
the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. If you also look in Genesis, and this is not in my notes, but I think I'll be able to find it. In Genesis chapter 1, there's an important detail that the Holy Spirit preserves for us about God. And when it says here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, notice how God speaks. That speaks of the triuneness of our God. In verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the air and sea. But notice it does not say, let, let, I, I will make man in my image. But rather it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And these are just a few passages, beloved, where we see that there is a triuneness to our God. You see, beloved, each person in the Godhead each is co-equal, co-eternal, and all the attributes of deity is true of each and every one of the persons in the Godhead. And so what we see here in Matthew chapter 3 is the Son, the second person in the Godhead, who was made flesh, Jesus Christ. He's the one that John put under the water and brought back up out of the water. And pay no attention to those people that say sprinkling is baptism. It never was, and it never will be baptism. For baptism is by immersion. There's no question about it. So irrespective of how man wants to portray this event, be sure you know this. John the Baptist submerged our Lord Jesus beneath the water. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was put beneath the water, we have the second person, the God-man mediator, the servant of Jehovah. And we have God the Holy Spirit presented in the form of a dove descending. John saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God coming upon him. And remember that prophecy that declared, I have put my Spirit upon him. The Gospel of John tells us that the Spirit of God abode upon him, that is, remaining upon him. And that's important. And then we have God the Father who spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The word beloved may be rendered, This is my only begotten Son. You see, our Heavenly Father has many sons by adoption, but He has only one who is His only begotten Son. Now, before we conclude our time together, before we gather around the table, I want to ask two questions and make one comment. The first question is this. Is repentance to be preached today? That was John's message, was it not? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So is repentance to be preached today? Well, if you would look at what we would generally call the Great Commission, after our Lord's resurrection, when he sent out his disciples to preach in all the world, as it's given to us in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you turn there with me to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning in verse 46. Our Lord declared, Thus it is written 
And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Beloved, repentance is part of the message that we preach. Repentance in regard to the forgiveness of sins, in that sense of sin whereby the Holy Spirit convicts us, that sense that conviction of sin that causes a sinner to flee from the wrath to come and to trust only in God's ordained remedy for sin, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I see people wherever I go, and you see them too, beloved, those you work with, talk with, visit with. It seems like they live in this world without the least care or concern about eternity and meeting God. Sadly, most people are living their lives for now, and that's it. They live as though there were no God, as if sin was not a real thing, as if sin is not hateful to God, as if God will not punish sin. When a person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is brought to realize not merely that they're a sinner, but they've sinned against God, and God is angry with the wicked every day, And outside of Christ, God is a consuming fire. And in just a few days, I'm going out to meet him. A man repents. He changes his mind about himself, about Christ, about God, about eternity, and he flees from the just wrath of God to Christ. My friend, you can't believe in Christ without repenting. And you cannot repent without believing. You see, they go together. So yes, repentance is to be is to be preached. The second question is this: Is baptism important? Is baptism important? Well, is any command of Christ not important? Is there any command of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's not important? I think not. So baptism is important absolutely important. Now, it's baptized not in order to be saved, but when a person has been saved by the grace of God, it is God's way that is given to us in in the Word of God for us to publicly identify with Christ and His gospel. Look at what our Heavenly Father declares of His beloved Son, our never-failing Lord and Savior and God, there in the last verse, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 3. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What a word of comfort to every one of God's children who are in Christ. My friend, do you know why that comforts God's people so? To hear those words? Because the very same thing our Heavenly Father says of His beloved Son, He says of His beloved people united to Him. Beloved, just as our Heavenly Father calls our Lord Jesus mine elect, so too, beloved, you are his elect, his chosen in Christ, loved in Christ, redeemed in Christ, accepted in Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll conclude with this portion. And then we'll observe, observe the Lord's table. 
Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Beloved, believing sinner, what our Heavenly Father said that day about his beloved Son, he says about each and every one of us who are in him, in Christ. Amen.